I'm excited to be here. I'm, I get to share the word with you guys this morning. Uh, we had an amazing, an amazing uh, Christmas Eve service, guys. Like, broke all kinds of records. Of, the house was packed. There was a ton of people here. And now you look around, and it's like the few, the proud, the GLC crowd of 20, the 26th of December, right? Like, no, no, thank you for coming. You guys are troopers. You're here today, and I don't want to bypass that. I told you the story about my grandfather, right? Um, I don't want to be that guy. Not, I, I look up to my grandpa a lot. He's not a bad guy. But, you know, my grandpa, when I call my grandpa, which is not often at all, Rosie could attest to that, um, it's bad on me. I know, I know. He, he always reminds me of the times I haven't called, right? <laughs> so, so the first, we spend the first 10 minutes on the phone talking about how I never called, how I've forgotten about him. I'm like, Grandpa, but I'm here now. Like, you know, I want to do the same thing for you guys. So give yourselves a hand for being here today. <clears throat> so again, my name is Moises. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm the associate pastor here at Greater Life Church, and I usually get to speak in these services. So we have a lot of fun together. Um, but I'm going to, today I want to talk about a, a topic that has, guys, today we're not, I'm not going to talk about Christmas, okay? Um, we're we're kind of going to start looking towards the new year, and I want to kind of, I, I love these kind of sermons, right? Because it's like, it's like I get to download what God has been speaking into my heart, or what I've been reading on, or, or what God has been really working in my life, because there is no sermon series. This is like a one and off sermon, just like bring whatever you got kind of thing, and I'm like... <laughs> Say no more, right? So, uh, but I want to give credit where credit is due. I've, I've been reading this book by this author named John Comer. And I, I usually don't share the information because people tend to have, I don't know what that man did 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And people, and, and I just don't want to mess this thing up. But I, I want to kind of give credit where credit is due and where, where some of this information will come from. Uh, you might have seen it in the bulletin if you, if you read the book. Uh, I, 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 I read a lot of books, and he's a great author. I, I love reading his stuff. This is the second book I've read from him. So um, we're, we're going to, I think it's really relevant what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to be quoting that book a lot this morning. So are you guys ready? You guys ready? All right. Don't shy away. If you came here, yeah, let loose. I mean, at this point, right, you got up, got ready, and you came here. So let's do it. All right, we're all in. Here we go. Whew, I'm trying to follow Angel, but I just don't got the hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, how, how do I? I got, I got to loosen up on the product a little bit, right? Maybe I can swing a little bit up here. Uh, all right, so listen, I, I'm going to tell you a story. This is, I, I take this very serious, all right? I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, and what I'm about to tell you is true. Listen up. Now, we do have the star up here, all right? I think I got some, they're, they're going to, every time, you know, I give it a good punch here this morning, they're going to be turning that up, you know, giving me stars for my good uh, effort up here. I got, um, <laughs> so I told them not to get out of hand because I don't, it'll throw off the whole sermon. So listen, whenever that person feels led, they're going to hit me with the light, like good job, star. So, you know, there it is. So here it is. You might have heard this story before, and I'm going to tell it. October 30th, 1938, when aliens invaded America. Let that sink in for a second. 
the first wave landed in an unexpected farming town called Grover Mill, not far from Princeton University in New Jersey. Out of all the places, New Jersey. So a professor by the name of Richard Pearson was standing watch at Princeton's observatory. He had scope eruption of blue flames on Mars' surface just a few hours before the attack. He assumed it was a rare meteor shower and rushed to the scene to investigate. When he arrived, instead of a space rock, he found a large metal cylinder in the open field, still steaming and broadcasting, and a broadcasting odd scraping noise from inside the shell. As the reporters and first responders and others examined the crash site, the cylinder began to open and a terrifying monstrosity of alien violence unfolded. A reporter on site by the name of Carl Phillips reported live across CBS airwaves and said, and I quote, People, this is the most terrifying thing I have ever witnessed. I can see peering out of the black hole two luminous discs. Are they eyes? It may be a face. But that face, it's people, it's indescribable, he said. I could hardly force myself to keep looking at it. The eyes are black and gleam like a serpent. The, the mouth is V-shaped and, and with saliva dripping from it. What's that, he said. There's a jet of flame springing from the alien. And it leaps right at the advancing men that are coming at it. It strikes them head on. Good Lord, they're turning into flames, he said. Now the whole field's caught on fire, he says. The woods, the barns, the gas tanks of the automobiles, it's spreading everywhere. It's coming this way, he says. And then his voice gets cut out and is followed by an eerie hiss sound of radio static. Five long seconds later, the report continues and he announces America's worst fear. Aliens have landed on the eastern seaboard. The National Guard had been called in and bells rang to warn the people to evacuate Manhattan. The Secretary of Interior urged Americans to join the fight and to stand for the preservation of human supremacy. Then came word of more alien landfall in Chicago, St. Louis. They were taking over the country. People took refuge in churches. Pregnant women went into labor. People committed suicide. Looting broke out in the streets. Men got out their guns and made one last stand, right? This is America. Get your guns out. Here we go. I'm just kidding. That's not on here. Life as we know it was over. And as much as the conspiracy theory people in the room would want that story to be true, right? People that think that the moon landing happened in Iceland somewhere and <laughs> or that the earth, is, the earth is flat or whatever. The story is a lie, as shocking as that may be to you guys. There was no alien invasion, but everything else did happen. Everything else did happen. It was not a full-on lie, more like a fiction, sci-fi fiction gone wrong. Here's the backstory for those of you who don't know the story in the room. In the 1930s were tough times in America. 
There was not only did scientists speculate that there was life or aliens in Mars, America was at the verge of going to war with Germany. Not only that, but they were still recovering from the Great Depression. To add to the mix, it was a, it was a, a dark night before Halloween. You know that's scary. A guy by the name of Orson Welles, a 23-year-old actor and director, had a new radio program on CBS. This show had only been on the air for 17 weeks, about four months. And it was getting a ton of criticism. The man was desperate, so he knew he had to do something drastic. And his show, or his show would fail, so he, brought, he, he bought the rights to a novel titled The War of the Worlds. And had his screenwriter simplify the story and literally turn it into an hour-long sci-fi story designed to entertain people. They updated the setting from a Victorian England setting to a New Jersey setting. But this is how it all went sideways. I told you his show was being criticized. Most Americans weren't listening to this guy's show. They were listening to a more popular show called The Chase of Sanborn Hour. But that week, the show started with a short comedy sketch that ended around 8.15. So at 8.16, tons of people turned the dial and were shocked by a realistic-sounding news alert of mayhem up and down the eastern seaboard including an emergency broadcast from an actor whose voice mimicked the president. <laughs> As you can imagine, people freaked out. The New York Times ran a front-page story describing it a wave of mass hysteria. The New York Daily read, Fake radio war stirs terror through the U.S., and you say, why are you telling us all this? Because I find it like an apt metaphor to capture the idea of today's message and what we're living today as people. We're at war. And not, not with aliens from Mars, no, obviously. But an, an enemy far more dangerous, and that's lies. But unlike the story, this enemy is not a figment of our imagination. This enemy is as real as we know it to be. Now relax, I know it's the day after Christmas and you know what I'm saying? I said the war word and you're like, oh my goodness, here we go, you know? And us versus them, call to arms, let's get it. No, it's not about that. You know, our nation is already very divided you know, and, and the last thing we need to do is pour more gasoline on the fire. But I, I simply this morning want to name the felt experience of following Jesus. And, and I just can't think of a better way to do it than to, to, to say that it feels like a war for our very souls. As we head towards the new year, we hear rumors of new conflicts and new things happening. And our anxiety starts to build up. We don't know what to expect. We think of 2022, and if you're like me, you're probably like, huh, I wonder what it's going to be like next year. 
So much has already changed in the past three years. And it's literally tearing at the fabric of our peace as people. Live No Lies. That's what I decided to title the message is the, is the name of the book. Now, we're, the reason why is because we're feeling this constant conflict, not just, not just in, out there in our culture, but we're also in the digital news feed and, and, and our, our minds and our bodies are constantly being attacked. It's like there's this tug of war happening inside all of us. And we don't know what's right and what's wrong. And it's emotionally exhausting and we're spiritually being depleted and losing our peace little by little. On paper, everything is fine. I personally have a beautiful home. I have the best job in the world. I get paid to pray and preach. <laughs> it goes, it's more than that. Settle down. I do more than that. I wish that's all I did. My wife, son, and I go for long walks with our dog, Louie. Eat ice cream together. We have a blast as a family. Everything on paper, it's okay. But why do I feel so tired? So worn down. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, mentally. Why do I feel so battered and bruised? Every day it's like a battle just to stay faithful to Jesus. I have an idea. Maybe because it is a battle to stay faithful to Jesus. You see, nowadays we have such a hard time seeing it this way because our generation has a low comfort level with military metaphors when it comes to our faith. We rather see our faith as like a journey or a lifestyle. Rather than a war, our ancestors were far more realistic about this. Naming spiritual conflicts that we have as people today for what they are. You know, there, there are three enemies to the soul. Three. There's the devil. There's the flesh. And, and there's the world. Okay? Those are the, two, the three enemies that we, we, we constantly battle on a day-to-day -day basis. They, uh, prior to us, people saw these enemies for what they were, as invaders to our souls. And while we, we, the exact phrase, world, flesh, and the devil, isn't used by Jesus or the writers of the New Testament, the language and the categories still are. If you have read Paul, you know. That, I mean, if you don't believe we're at war, Paul says in one of his most famous scriptures, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. He told the Ephesians church, put the full armor of God so you can, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He prayed for Pastor Tim, Timothy and said, fight the battle well, he said to him. He also reminded us that our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. That the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. He said we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We are in a war. 
It's real. You may not want to believe that we're at war, and, 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 and this is, but I, I feel like this is a reality we must all face. I, I would want to be told, realistically speaking, going into the new year with my family, the reality that we're all about to face. This is not a doomsday message into the 2020 year. This is an everyday life thing that as believers of Jesus, we all have to face. I'm not trying to bring bad news here, but I want us to be real and understand why those battles are taking place and why we feel the way that we feel inside. Maybe you're not dealing with it today, the day after Christmas. Maybe it's all joy. You walked in here like, man, lights, everything, joy. It might get loud. You know? <laughs> uh, man, you should see, guys, you should see Angel getting out of the pool. <laughs> when he does this right here, and all that water splashes back, man, it's amazing. <laughs> you can picture it. I know you can. You know, and, and many of us, you know, I think of, I, I, I talk about the world, the devil, you know what I'm saying? In the flesh, and, and many of us here in the church have decided that that's, that's news of the old past. That that's a relic. Right? These things don't really happen anymore. It's like the devil is some sort of myth, like the Thor hammer or something. Like, you know, that we scratch our heads, right? Uh, when, when we say the word flesh in this world. Because our, our culture has defined all these things as like, you know, uh, they equate feeling good with being good. So anything that makes me feel good should be good. We hear the word world and we think of some guy preaching in the corner, yelling, repent or fry or whatever they would say. Rock and roll and rap music are leading us all to hell. And, and without noticing, we, we technically have dismissed these categories from our lives and acted like they're not active. So these things operate in our lives and, and, and we hardly ever notice it. I believe the world, the flesh, and the devil are active things in our lives today that are literally causing us harm. Not only us, but our families, our communities, and this world around us. They are being aided by our own skepticism and causing havoc in our souls and our societies. This war against this enemy is not a war of guns and, and, and bombs, guys. It's not a war against people. It's a war against lies. And the problem is less that we tell the lie and more that we live them. It's not. We would all agree here in the room that a lie is a lie. If I told you that is true, right? You don't, we shouldn't do this. You're like, no, we shouldn't. Then why do you do it? I don't know. Right? So it's not so much that we believe that lies are good. It's that we live them. And it's caught, having some serious consequences. We have this false narrative about reality. 
And they are destroying us from the inside out. As followers of Jesus, we're at world with, we, we are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We must recognize and resist these three enemies that are going after our peace. And they act in the following sequence. And I want to break this down to you because you may say the devil, right? The flesh, the world. Well, the devil, what he does is he brings a deceptive idea. Okay? So what our, our flesh, then our flesh, what it does, it, then the flesh plays into the disorder idea or the desire. Right? So the devil says, you should do this. Here's the idea. Our flesh is weak and our flesh says, that sounds good. I'm going to do that. And then the world, at all costs, normalizes it. Doesn't stop normalizing it. Things that we know to be wrong. We have a world behind us constantly trying to normalize it. I mean, it, it, the pain of 2020 gave birth to a one of the largest protest movements in American history. And as much as we love to blame them, the liberals, the conservative, Antifa, the Proud Boys, or whoever we love to hate, none of us can ignore that there's something off that's taking place in here. You know, the sad part is that the war continues and many of us are standing there like shell-shocked soldiers, lost and confused in the chaos of the battlefield, not knowing what is happening. Is this right? Is this wrong? Why do I feel this way about it? Should I rise up against it, just stand back, be a bystander? Our generation is living through three historic shifts in Western culture. Number one, we're going from the majority to the minority. I don't care what this... 49% of millennials and 65% of American adults still identify themselves as Christians. Right? However, in a more in-depth analysis... The number of young adults who are resilient disciples of Jesus is about 10%. And that's nationwide. Certain cities in the U.S. is even worse. So while the church is not an ethnic minority, this, 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 this guy lays it out like this. He says we are what so sociologists call a cognitive minority. Meaning as followers of Jesus, our worldview and value systems and practices and social norms are increasingly at odds with those of our host culture. And we call it evolution. We call it becoming better people. But in essence, we're losing ground and the majority is quickly becoming the minority. Facing constant pressure from both the right and the left to assimilate the things that are being pushed by agendas as the world tries to normalize things that we know to be wrong. I know you're waiting for me to throw a political spin-off, but I won't today. I will not. 
You're not going to get me like that. You just hear what I'm saying. Make it whatever you want to make it. So, so, so numbers may show that we're still a Christian nation. We just celebrated Christmas. But, but we know that deep down inside, this world keeps normalizing more of what goes against God than what goes for him. It's time to listen, man. And it's time to listen to the right source, too. And this is when I say a news channel, but I won't. Because I, I wrote this statement up, and it says, The mark of disciple is his or her ability to hear the master's voice. We, we claim to be true disciples of Jesus, but, you know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see the difference here? The world, the word is, the world is ramming at our door and Jesus is barely knocking. The, the, the voices in the world scream for your allegiance. Jesus is softly requesting it. The world promises flashy pleasures, but Jesus promises a quiet dinner. I will come in and eat with you. Which voice are we listening to? What are we hearing? What's moving us and our family into next year? What does it look like? See, I want everyone to do something. I did this exercise with the young adults a long time ago. Everyone, close your eyes. <laughs> I like how some people don't want to close their eyes. They just look at me like, I'm not closing my eyes. <laughs> this is not like a, you're not committing yourself to anything. Just close your eyes. All right? Open them. Right? Nothing changed. No, I wasn't, there wasn't going to be anybody standing up here or anything like that. Now close your ears. Don't use your hands. Close them. You can't. Right? You know, they, our ears, unlike our eyes, don't have lids. Right? You're like, wow, man, you're enlightening us this morning. <laughs> I just figure the kids are here, so I, I got to simplify this thing. You are too, to re you know, they, they remain open, but we have found a way to close them. Right? And not just going like this. No, I'm not talking about that. We have found a way to stop listening. In the parable of the sower, the sower is the same sower, right? What is different is not the message or the messenger. What is different is the listener. Right? And if the ratio in the story is significant, then three-fourths of the world is not listening to God's voice. Whether the cost be hard hearts, shallow lives, anxious minds, 75% of people miss the message. But not us, right? We are the proud, the few, the GLC crowd of the 26th of December. <laughs> We're above the average here this morning. It's, that, it's not that we don't have ears, it's just that we don't use them. So, so we've gone from, from, from a place, of, from the majority to minority. The other thing we've gone from is from a place of honor to a place of shame. 
Okay, being a Christian was something people honor and respected. The Christian vision was so included in our nations early on that you would see it. I was walking in the YMCA the other day, and I literally, I'm a pastor, right? I read the Bible. I, I walked by one of the walls, and I literally did a double take because they had a verse on the wall. Like, oh, they should be canceled. Oh, no, they shouldn't be canceled. No, we're at the YMCA. Seriously, like it caught me off guard. Because it's not normal. It's looked down upon. How can this place get away with this? I love this place, right? Like, because you're just not used to it. Followers of Jesus were at the center of our culture. The movement, the leaders, most of the Ivy League started as pastoral trainings for schools. Many intellectual people, scientists, and artists were believers of Jesus. Pastors were people of high standings. The church held a place in culture. You want to kill a conversation with someone you don't know? Tell them that you're a pastor. Right? Literally, we could be having the best conversation of the world. In some, I don't know, picture a place. At the at Carowinds, at one of the rides or something, like while you're waiting. So what do you do, man? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. Most people want nothing to do with faith in the, pub, in the public square. I literally just heard the president of the UFC the other day being asked about your fighters after they win a fight and they get on the mic, they praise Jesus. Some of them, you know, are Christian and they just like, glory to God for this win. You know, when, you, know I, I, you see it in the Oscars. People get up, I just want to thank my God for everything he's done, right? Like you hear, and, and literally the president of the UFC is saying, listen, I, I think they need to keep that stuff to themselves. The reporters are asking you questions about the fight. We want to hear about the fight. We don't want to hear about your belief system. Something that was so common and done so often, our world is saying it's a lie. It's terribly sad because our ability to honor people not only reflects how we see them, but how we see ourselves and even God. You know, listen, you hear this term like respect is earned, but you know honor is given. Honor is given. Honor comes first. Expecting it to give it will decrease your opportunity of expressing it, and that is something God doesn't take lightly. Romans 13, 7 says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. There's something to learn from those who have come before us. Even if you don't like it, right? Should we honor our parents? Well, yeah, of course we should. Then, then why don't you? Ah, uh, I'm just busy. I live too far. You just normalized it. You have just normalized it. We are called to honor. This is a loomy message, man. You guys are like, hit them with the star. Hey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to loosen you guys up. You guys are too uptight. <laughs> 
But I get it. I get it. We're listening. So, so we've, we've gone from a, a place of honor to a place of shame. And, and, and the third one is a, from, a, from widespread to- tolerance to a rising hostility. All right? Being a Christian used to be something others looked up to as weird, right? Like, like sometimes you were a Christian and people would say, ooh, right? The things that you do don't go really with, you know, sex before marriage. What? You know, no, I mean, no sex before marriage. Sorry. Giving away a percentage of your income? For what? Our unaffiliation with political parties was something that people thought it was weird. They didn't understand. These ideas used to be simply weird to other people. Now they are being considered and labeled threatening. Guys, hear me out. Because this is the thing that like keeps parents, like I, I'm, I'm a parent here of a three-year-old boy, and I don't know if I should ever send them to school. Everybody around me tells me not to do it. You see what I'm saying? Like, like guys, there's, there's an issue here. And we, we're walking along like it's normal. Like, that's just the way it is. And I understand that. But there's a war happening. And ignoring it, it's not going to make it go away. You know, I'm not going to go as far to say as that we're experiencing persecution because Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggles against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So I get it. I get it. Right? We haven't died or, you know what I'm saying? But, but there is a kind of cultural persecution that we live under that, that, that carry weight on our lives and is exhausting. And it, it, it is a, a cultural experience that feels like exile. Like as people of God, we're being exiled. The author Paul Tabori defined exile as being an outcast within one's own country. Meaning you, you could be a citizen, but you still feel like an outsider of this place. The, the Barna group called um, our cultural movement Digital Babylon. Digital Babylon, and, 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 and technically, it's a way of looking at where we're all at now. We're all in Babylon. Babylon is not, it's not an easy, easy place to live. It doesn't feel like home. It's terrifying at times, even traumatic. And constant uncertainty of the future tends to happen when we live there. Every day can feel like a war on our souls, a spiritual assault on our faith, a fight just to stay safe, to stay faithful to Jesus to stay sane up here, but must stay happy or at peace even with our families. In this constant pressure to assimilate for whatever this world is throwing at us as something normal that we should believe, it's an effort to normalize everything that we know to be wrong. And sometimes the sad part is that we will look at ourselves as human beings and say, is what I believe, man, was I off this whole time? Because it doesn't look bad. It looks, I guess so, if they need to be happy. That's what makes them happy. It's easy for us to laugh today at the story of 1938. Right? We all laughed and chuckled in the room. <laughs> they turned the knob at age 16. <laughs> and they went crazy. We will never be fooled like that. Not us. 
what's true is to realize that across the Atlantic, intelligent, educated Germans were rounding up Jews and feeding them into incinerators. Right? That even the Hollywood elite were smoking dozens of cigarettes a day because big tobacco companies pay them to endorse the product. <laughs> that Americans thought that aliens were in Mars. It's funny because it could be tempting for us to stand at this side of everything and say, man, not us. What fools? There's no way I could fall for a lie like that. I'm so much more savvy than that. I'm sophisticated. Nothing like that is going to ever confuse me. Sadly, we have told ourselves that we have become better and found better ways of doing things than the people that came behind us, that came behind us. And as we glance quickly into our world today, we can very quickly see that things aren't getting better. They're actually getting worse. Now, listen, guys, I'm not talking personally. You, you and your family may be experiencing a blessing like never before. You may have great jobs. You may come to work, go to work every day, come to church every week, and it's a beautiful experience. Now, I'm not knocking on that, but there's a reality of a war that hasn't stopped and that continues to happen. So all I'm saying, if this doesn't apply to you, just watch yourself. Be realistic about what's taking place. Ignoring it doesn't fix it, right? As much as I applaud our generation for, for its advocacy for equality and human dignity, there's a very drastic disparity with the interpretation of the data points of science and history. Reality is just reality. It doesn't conform itself to our desires, our feelings, our incorrect way of thinking. Is sin wrong? Yes. Then why do we do it? Because we're weak. You just normalized it. That statement continues. The Bible tells us that where we are weak, he is strong. So for a believer of Jesus to normalize sin and say, I do it because I'm weak, and we have to understand each other for that, you just normalize sin in your life. Therefore, it will continue. And you don't know why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And sin is just an example. But we have to continue those statements as believer of Jesus. We have to keep going. We can't stop there or we're falling into the trap. Everyone's sinners. We're fighting a battle against an enemy that wants to normalize everything that we know to be wrong. And we're falling into the trap because we stopped the statement. I'm a pastor. Listen, there, there's no political agenda here today. You know, I, I, I knew this was going to be more of a rant. But here's what I believe I believe I have a soul. And you have one too. And like mine, your soul is locked in a war with lies that you face on a day-to-day -day basis. Like a Spartan soldier, born into war, couldn't avoid it. He was going to be trained to be a fighter from the get-go. You and I don't have a choice. 
We're here. You don't get to ignore what's going on around you because there's a lot of people depending on it. You may think of this message as something pretty negative or kind of like a loomy, bloomy message, but what if I told you that exile could be good for us? William Faulkner said that it's hard believing, but disaster seems to be good for people. What if exile is something to fight, not to fear? What if instead of coming apart, we came together as people? What instead of losing our souls, we, we discover them? The only thing needed for evil to increase is for the good to do nothing. I'll say that again. The only thing needed for evil to increase is for good to do nothing. You have a dog in this fight. You can leave here today and act like you don't, but you do. You do. Look at all, label me as that pastor that, oh my God, that dude, man, I'm so depressed right now. And listen, the hallmark, the hallmark of a man, <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen, the, the hallmark of America insists on making us believe that our decisions today don't lead to destinations tomorrow. All right? Everything we do, every decision we make has an effect. And when we step into it, understanding what Paul said, that we are literally in a war of our souls, it'll help us understand things a lot better. It'll help us cope with those feelings that we deal with inside of all of us. It'll teach you how to step into a moment for you, for your family, and do the right thing that you've known to do from the beginning. Ignoring it won't fix it. So how do I start? There's only one reason weeds grow out of control in a garden. It's because no one took the proper time to uproot them. You're like, why is this all happening around me? My question will be, what have you done about it? And I know it's a challenging message. I know this is one of those moments where you're just thinking about so many things. But one thing that I firmly believe is that good is not going to happen circumstantially. So you and I are going to have to actively work towards it. And you could do way more today than what you think you can. And your family depends on it. If you don't do it for yourself, do it for those people you love. All I need is a little inspiration from looking at my three-year-old son and say, man, I need to do better. I've heard people, believers say, I don't know if I want grandkids brought into this world because it's so bad. And that's the reality of the moment we live in. You would have to agree with me to know that all we do is walk around and ignore it most of the time. But when we dig into it, we realize this moment is real. And it's true and it's difficult to cope with right but God is calling us and has given us everything that we need in order to step into this moment and not go into 2020 living lies walking in with our family thinking yeah anything will be okay I, I just it'll pass things will be no we have to stay firm on what the Word of God says and allow God to truly 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 work a miracle in our families and our community There, there's, the lies need to stop. There is no new normal. There is no new normal. 
It's only what we know to be true. That is our normal. That is the truth. We will not live a lie. Stop. We're okay with not telling it, but we live it. We know sin is wrong, but we still live in it. That's just one example, guys. If you recap on anything today, I would say look at your life as a whole. Look at your family. And as you look into 2022, allow yourself to understand that the feelings that take place inside all of us, that tug of war that sometimes we feel, that we don't understand why we're worn out or why we feel exhausted or why, why things feel the way they feel. You may be saying you're fine, but there may be things taking place. Why is my son acting like this? Why is that person doing this to me? There is a true war going on. And we have to meet that. Don't be that bystander soldier just standing there like, I don't know what's going on. You do know what's going on. Allow God to direct you so that we could overcome this together as people of God like we're called to. Amen? Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this moment, Lord. You have kind of, I hope that you've stirred the hearts of the people, Lord, to understand that going into the, the next year, Lord, believing lies and, and living lies for ourselves, our families is a no-go. We are truly at war, Lord, and you have given us everything that we need to overcome that. So I would just pray, Lord, that you would activate those things in our lives, that we would, we would intentionally pull the things from our lives that are causing us damage, the things that cause our family damage, to understand that the decisions that we make today take us to a destination tomorrow, Lord, and that we need your help every step of the way, Lord. As things out there in the world may get worse, help us to be the beacon of, of hope that the people need to help those in need, to step in when it's much needed, Lord. We want to be used by you and allow you to work through us, Lord. Thank you so much for being here with us and allowing us to have this last Sunday where we celebrate you, Lord, and thank you for everything that you're doing and what you're going to do. We expect a lot, Lord, and we won't shy away from the fight. We believe in you, Jesus, and we thank you for all this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Can you give God praise this morning? <clears throat>